You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Southern California, better look out. There is a high sphincter alert going on in the Los Angeles area as we head into an evening where the Lakers and Clippers are looking at big games. I'm not calling them must wins. I have a rule. Must wins have to be games that you must win or else you're out. But they're pretty musty for game twos of a series. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're going to get you right off the top with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Three NBA games tonight. We'll get into last night in a moment, but I wanted to start with these fits because there is so much focus on the two Los Angeles teams. We've got Celtics-Brooklyn. I don't have as much to say about that. That's just a Nets team that's going to use that series to work out the kinks en route to facing a team that's going to give them a little more competition than the Celtics. But the other two matchups are fascinating to me because of the machinations behind the scene that, that those losing teams in the Clippers and the Lakers are likely to put into effect. And what are those opposing teams in the Suns and the Mavericks going to do to counteract those changes? What we saw in game one, an aberration or some sort of proof that, the, that those two strong L.A. teams might not be as strong as we thought? Well, first and foremost, I never thought I'd hear sphincter and musty used in the same in the opening <laughs> statement. So, c- congratulations to you. That's really a job well done. Uh, but the the panic meter is in full effect for all of LA, particularly. In, you know, I think both teams have a lot of pressure. But the Lakers, there's such an expectation that they're just going to come out and figure it out. And uh, particularly, I'll give stats and info great credit for uh, this little nugget. The Lakers. Uh, in, in their playoff careers, LeBron James and Anthony Davis both rank in the top five in most point per games after a loss within a single postseason. So, uh, you know, if you look at what is expected, we expect this big bounce back moment from the Lakers because, frankly, the brand and the two superstars sort of dictate that. If that doesn't happen, we're all going to have to have this big awakening, not just about the Lakers, but I keep saying the other side of this, maybe, just maybe, this is a better Suns team than anyone wants to give them credit for. That gets proven with a win tonight. I mean, if, if the Suns go up 2 nothing, I'm with you. I'm not going to say that this is must win. But if the Suns go up 2 nothing, at least we owe it to Phoenix to have some sort of real conversation about whether or not the Suns have been underestimated in this process. It's hard because... Underestimated is is it's hard to pin down, right? I mean, technically they are the lower seed slash the higher ranked team. Technically, all season long they've been disproving doubters and they've earned Monty Williams uh, a ton of of credit for the leaps and bounds per year since he arrived. CP3 has been showered with a ton of love and even some MP, MVP talk for what he's been able to do with that squad, um, but. They're going up against a terrible first-round matchup in a Lakers team that was the complete and utter favorites all offseason, even before being able to add Drummond and everything else, who are really only in this position because of injury. So underestimated, um, maybe against other lower-seeded teams would make sense, but against a Lakers team that's trying to defend a title, it's hard to get a read on whether they're being disrespected or just fairly analyzed. Now, what I'm interested in in this game in particular is the two superstars for Los Angeles. You've got LeBron James, who is not getting as much focus as having been less effective than you'd like in game one. And part of that is because of the injury holding him back. But Fitz, he took more than 54% of his shots in game one from beyond the arc. He had zero points off of drives in game one. That is a guy who is not inserting him into the game action. That is a guy who's not taking control of the game. And that is a guy who's not using his entire skill set. Is that the injury? Is that LeBron sitting back and getting a read on what they're doing and then coming in informed with a different style in this game? 
we have yet to see. But LeBron gets a little bit of, of, of criticism there for not being as aggressive in game one as I would like. Most of the focus is on Anthony Davis, and rightfully so. His jump shot has not supported his decision internally that he doesn't want to be a five, while everyone else for years has now been telling him, please play the five position, especially in games like this where if you're on the court with Drummond and he's technically the five, you're getting matched up with a really good mismatch in Crowder and you're not taking advantage because you're settling for jumpers instead of pushing it into the paint. Part of that's because Drummond's taking up space. Let them take him out and put you at the five and see the difference it'll make in a game like this. You are a game changer, Anthony Davis, and you cannot disappear the way you did. Those are the two guys that have the biggest effect on this game because whether or not CP3 is healthy, the Suns looked like they could almost do it without him in that game based solely on poor play from the Lakers side. Well, and I will also say, though, Devin Booker, you know, and I thought DeAndre Ayton both played great offensive yeah. games, too. You know, th- there is a moment, though, where I'll go back to the bubble. And I think we can all agree very little from the bubble can be taken into any sort of what we're seeing this year because it was such a different uh, concept and a different way to have to live and play. But what did we see last year? I I said this repeatedly at the time. I thought the Lakers might have been the most disinterested champion we've ever seen in NBA history. They, When they showed up in the bubble, they killed everybody. When they didn't, they would get rolled. And, and maybe, just maybe, that's part of the identity of what LeBron and AD is. I mean, there is proof of concept from last year of them coming out not looking good one game, and then all of a sudden AD just comes out and says, all right, fine, if I really have to press the turbo button, I'll press it now and we'll go out. We'll be better than everybody, and then we'll relax a little bit. So I've, we've seen this sort of game from the Lakers before. It worked. The question is, are the Suns so much better than the teams that it worked against last year that the Suns can't uh, They can't do that against the Suns? And we don't know the answer to that yet. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. When it comes to that other game, Dallas and Clippers, there's a lot of hand-wringing, and it's just it's deserved from this Clippers team that I believe have now lost four straight playoff games. They need to prove themselves tonight against a team in the Mavericks that, for whatever reason, has just had a ton of success against them. This was the third-ranked uh, offense in terms of efficiency the regular season and the best team in the league at shooting three-pointers, and yet when they go up against the Mavs, for whatever reason, they cannot hit the broadside of a barn. That's a pretty easy fix, though. While... The final score of that first game between the Mavs and the Clippers looked like double digits and was. There were a lot of lead changes, and they weren't that far off for a team that played a terrible game. Now, it's easy to say, okay, if you shot 27% from three and you're the best three-pointing shooting team in the league, then you should be stepping up your game tonight, and there's going to be a lot more offense that's going to help you out. Throw Kawhi on Luka for a couple more uh, possessions. Don't let him beat you the way he did in game one, and you should be fine. But again, that very small sample size, but regular season sample size, for whatever reason, the Mavs have shut down the ability for this Clippers team to win based off threes. And now we need to see proof of concept that they can do that for us to believe that it's luck and not something that the Mavs are doing defensively. Well, and Doncic, I mean, had such an incredible game, won five three-pointers. Really, he was lights out. He was in another stratosphere. Is that sustainable? That's the thing that I, you know, I keep looking at because the Mavs, the the most interesting stat on the Mavs this year that I don't know why this has happened, but they're twenty eight no this season when they have a lead after the first quarter. So if the Mavs are up after one, the game's over. Like that, that's the one thing I keep waiting for that to break, and it hasn't. But for the Mavs to go out and play as well as they did, and for Luca to be as spectacular as he is, we expect that 
from certain guys. And it's not that I don't expect it from Luka. It's just I'm not sure that level of, oh, my God, is sustainable for most players in a series against a team with as much talent as the Clippers have. So I certainly think that the Clippers did everything they could in game one to shut down Luka. He was just a man possessed. The question is, can he find that level of rhythm again in this game? I think that's asking a lot, and I don't think Dallas can win unless he does. So it still comes down to the Clippers have more depth than a better team in my mind. But if Luka plays that way, it won't matter. And to that's the point I was going to make. Yeah, is it sustainable for Luka to do that? Probably. Is it sustainable for them to allow him to do that and other guys on the Mavs step up the way they did in game one throughout the course of the series? Maybe not as much. So I don't think defensively they were as far off as people might think. Offensively, they were so bad that Luka could beat them and the D- and you know the supporting cast could step up. If they play him similarly with, like I said, a few more possessions with Kawhi on him, trapping him a little bit less so he doesn't have uh, you know the ability to know that that's coming and dump it down for easy to two-on-ones, then I think they'll be all right if the offense shows up. Uh, I'm less likely to believe that the supporting cast can do what they do in night in and night out than that Luka could do that, but you just let him beat you and no one else. And and to your point, quickly, I think Kawhi is such an X factor in this. It's the adjustments that make playoff basketball so much fun to watch what happens from game to game and how they get to how they differ. There's a spot here where I'm excited to see what somebody like Kawhi looks like against somebody like Luka with the experience that Kawhi has. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, giving you the straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. we got those three games tonight. We'll get back to those in a little bit. Coming up, we're going to look back at what we saw last night, and I have some questions for Fitz based on a couple L's that teams took. It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yesterday, things got weird. Uh, Fitz couldn't talk. Got hit with the case the Mondays. I couldn't exactly figure out what accent I wanted to give that golf broadcaster. I can't make any promises for tonight. Could be heading down the same path. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. We will get back into tonight's games, three games on the schedule in the NBA playoffs. Um, we also will be keeping an eye on uh, players expected to wear shirts uh, in the NBA and WNBA tonight, calling for the passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act bill. This is the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death, uh, George Floyd's murder. And in a statement, the NBA Social uh, Activism Coalition has called for the passage of this bill. It would prohibit racial profiling, chokeholds, carotid holds, and no-knock warrants at the federal level. Would also get rid of qualified immunity for officers and create a national police misconduct registry to prevent officers with a history of misconduct from being rehired. Passing Congress, going to the Senate, and now the NBA, the WNBA, trying to put their significant weight behind it. And on this anniversary, saw Sue Bird last night with Kenny Mayne on SportsCenter rocking that T-shirt. A lot of players going to be joining that cause. A lot of statements gone out from the WNBA and NBA tonight, and I imagine some players will be speaking on it as well. So we'll keep an eye out for that in the games tonight. Fitz, in the meantime, last night, uh, I I, I want to ask you who you put more blame on for the losses that we saw. We saw the Heat get absolutely pummeled by the Bucks in a game that was over by... Ten minutes in. And here's what Stephen A. Smith had to say about the leader of that Heat team, Jimmy Butler, not showing up so far in this series. But damn it, you showed, especially in the NBA Finals, that you're on an elevated level when you want to be. You got to want to be every night come playoffs. Enough of this four for 22 shooting or four for 10 and finishing with 10 points and we just trying to get things right. You Jimmy freaking Butler. Enough's enough. Stop playing. All right, so in his case... It's Jimmy Butler, the superstar of the team's fault for his team 
not being able to keep up, and a lot of people pointing at fingers at the dog, the guy who always wants to win, just not being there yet. He and Adebayo both shut down thus far by the Bucks. In the other half of the of the games last night, we saw the superstar take over. Damian Lillard, 42 points, 10 assists. He had over 20 points in a quarter to get them into a game that looked like it was lost, and nobody around him could find a way to help. Here's Stephen A. on the supporting cast, specifically Nurkic. He really gets on my damn nerves. And I'm going to tell you why. Yusuf Nurkic can play. This brother is not a scrub. He can play. He can really, really play offensively. Seven points while Jokic dropping 38 on you. 34 in game one. 38 in game two. You shooting, what what is it, two or eight from the field. Where the hell are you? So Mm. Nurkic, two of eight. Carmelo Anthony. One of five. McCollum, okay, nine of 12. McCollum and Lillard showing up, Lillard especially. Where do you place the blame for playoff losses? Is it everybody's got to pay you know, pay their way? Is it more on a, on a superstar that doesn't show up? Or can you look at a game like last night and say, look, if Lillard's doing that, the rest of the team has to come strong. You can't leave him on an island. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I, what we forget sometimes, though, is everything in, in playoff basketball is so matchup oriented, you know, that it, it feels like sometimes putting individual responsibility around this just feels wrong. It just feels like we have to look at the entirety of what's trying to be accomplished. Like in the two instances that Stephen A just referenced, I mean, I'll go back to Jimmy Butler. I'm not sure what exactly anybody would expect from Jimmy Butler when basically in the time it would take him to squeak out a tiny fart, they were down by 20. Like, it, it's, <laughs> I, I don't really understand what we think that he specifically could have done. And in fact, game one between these two teams was a very close game. And I would argue that in many ways, Jimmy Butler was more involved last night than he was in game one. So, you know, there's is there a disconnect? Yeah. Do we put a lot of pressure on the star of Jimmy Butler? Yes. Are the Bucks substantially better than the Heat this year? I can't say this loud enough. Yes. Like, I'm not sure one person can outlive how much better Milwaukee is than Miami right now. So I can't put uh, all of that on him. In the other matchup between the Nuggets and the Trailblazers, that was such a back-and-forth game and such a an interesting game to watch and such an offensive game. I don't know, again, that I can put any one person as the blame for the loss or the credit for the win in it. It just, this was one of those back and forth games where it felt like both teams went through big spurts and could you get momentum and capture momentum? And obviously the Trailblazers couldn't do that and the Nuggets could. Yeah, I didn't read it like that. I I mean, honestly, earlier on, maybe Trailblazers got behind and you kind of thought it was over and then Lillard single-handedly brought them back. And that's when you want to see this momentum of the entire team and instead what I saw was a Blazers team half of whom seemed kind of asleep it just the urgency wasn't there for me now listen they still did their job they took one of two they get to go home you know ahead of where we'd expect a team to be Uh, we often say you know series doesn't start till somebody loses at home Uh, they they handed a loss at home and and get to come back with at least a W but I didn't like how that team looked and and when your superstar that's only like, interesting to me, Sarah, because to your point, like uh, it, when you've got one guy bringing you back, you feed your hot hand. Like I really didn't have a problem with it. I, oh, it, it's you, not about not feeding him. Absolutely feed him. But when you when you push the ball around, it was turnovers. It was missed shots. It was lackadaisical effort. It did not look urgent to me on anybody's behalf except for Dames. And it's fine if you feed him. But then when it's your turn and when you're open because they have to press him so hard because he's killing them, then you have to step up and hit the shots. 
Yeah, and you're right. Obviously, they could have stepped up better. Uh, it felt like a sort of a frantic effort is the best way I can describe it because the turnovers, anytime you're seeing a team just sort of storm, I feel like we saw the same thing from Golden State against the Lakers, right? Like anytime you see somebody storming through, you'd see more turnovers. I, it just feels like everybody gets careless because they're all pushing so hard. Yeah. I, yeah. I I don't know. And to that end, like Nurkic, Nurkic has to play better defensively too. He has to keep himself out of foul trouble. I, I think his defensive lack of effort was really the grossest part of it at times. Uh, but, you know, I, I, again, I don't know that I can put any one person and say, hey, the blame is on you for that loss. Yeah, I agree with you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I mean, more as a as a supporting cast, 20 turnovers. That's more than that's almost double what they average. And they only got up 73 shots. Yeah. They only got up 73 shots. They work best when they get up to 100. Their average is closer to 90. So this is a team that, like I said, the urgency wasn't there, and they didn't make they didn't make you know the defense work. Denver didn't have to move much because, like I said, it was either Lillard made that insane shot that you can't guard, or he missed it, and then you head to the other end. And so I guess, listen, it's it's a it's a sports radio type question of what's more important: your star plays well or your supporting cast? Both. I mean, that's how you win playoff series, but. <laughs> In, in this case, it is interesting to see two outcomes where one is just you get the break speed off you because your stars and Butler and Adebayo are getting torched and can't show up. And then the other, you get a superstar who shows up beyond expectation and looks around and can't find someone to give him the help that he needs. Um, What's which easier one of to those... fix? That's the other question. Right. Like You'd because... like to think that Jimmy Butler will, will uh, uh, I guess, not regress to the mean, but, you know... Uh, move up to the mean, play yeah, better. The chance and get that back Miami to where finds themselves down by that much that early in another right. game just seems that that seems nearly impossible to me, but it's got to be maddening to go in from the same point. It's got to be maddening. If you're Damon, you go into the locker room and say somebody somewhere, just help me for the love of God. Right. Right. I still think the Blazers have a really good shot to win this series. On the other yeah, hand, I do. don't think the heat are a good enough team to win. And I think the bucks didn't play well in game one and still won. They played well in game two, and they absolutely torched him. I think the Bucks are in a really good position in showing off some of the changes they made in the offseason. I just don't think the Heat are good enough to keep up. Coming up, we have finally heard from Aaron Rodgers. Look at Kenny Mayne getting that exclusive on his way out. We'll talk about what he said in reaction for Packer Nation next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And sometimes we just have to head over to the Goodyear hotline to bring in one of our close friends to help us figure out everything good and bad happening in and around uh, Milwaukee. Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee joins us now. Jen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We got a little bit of good news, a little bad news with obviously uh, the basketball team and the football team, two very different conversations. So let's start because I'm feeling all sorts of positivity right now with some Peter Positive out of all of this. The Bucks go out and just annihilate Miami. They're up to nothing. What's the level of confidence right now for Bucks fans in their ability, knowing how much Miami's been a thorn in their side, to not just win this series, but suddenly to be able to vault themselves into the NBA championship conversation? Well, let's go back to our friend Stifler from American Pie who said, confidence is high, confidence is high, guys, because that's how Milwaukee <laughs> Bucks fans feel right now. Not like that would fit well in, within your show, guys. Um, they're very confident. And they were confident after game one because they knew they hadn't played their best game. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. And they shot so poorly, it was their third worst in playoff history from three points. 
So, like, it was, it, you just knew that that was an anomaly, that was going to be an outlier. Obviously, the game that you saw, the team that you saw last night versus the Heat is much more uh, similar to the team that you've seen during the regular season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, they tinkered their way through the regular season, weren't as concerned about being the top team, getting the number one seed. But the, this Milwaukee Bucks team is just better across the board than the Heat team that they're putting on the floor this year. So the confidence from the fan base is very high that they can win this thing and even sweep it, guys. I saw a stat that said 41% now for the Bucks to win this in four. I would guess that the Heat take one at home, but there's a lot of people who think, no, nah, they're going to be right back here in Milwaukee after these two games down in Florida. Jen Latta with us. Jen, you mentioned that the fans are feeling optimistic. This series, to me, not a big surprise if the Bucks win going away. I don't think the Heat should be a big challenge for them, particularly with the additions in the offseason, without the weirdness of the bubble. But they don't change in my mind at all until they're east finals participants maybe even winners because of who they've got on their roster and how well they've performed in the past in the regular season is there a tightening of sphincters that's the theme of the show today uh, when we get further into these playoffs where you do think that fans will doubt and need proof of concept that there's a real difference between this year and previous seasons Absolutely. And I think that we've seen that coach uh, Mike Budenholder's job kind of depends on that. You know, yeah, great. You can get through the first round. And we've seen that story before. We've played this thing out before. But you got to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think for a lot of people, you got to get to the finals this year in order to validate the moves that they made, the pieces that they acquired, and giving Coach Bud another chance to, you know, be the guy who's leading this squad. Um, You know, I think that the evolution you've seen, especially from Giannis, has been really eye-opening. You know, he is willing to defer. And I loved and I hated that the narrative was after the, the first game of this series that, oh, well, how can Giannis expect people to think he's one of the best in the league when he's not even taking the last shot on his team in these clutch mm. situations? And I'm going... That's so lazy, guys. Like, yeah, every team wants to have a superstar who's willing to take those, those final shots. But wouldn't you rather have three guys who can take that final shot? Wouldn't you rather trust three of your players, your starting lineup guys, you know, the core of your team, and be like, if he takes a shot, there's a good chance it's going in. If he takes the shot, there's a good chance it's going in. And if he takes the shot, there's a good chance it's going in. Like, that's a better strategy to me than being like, yeah. well, there's this narrative surrounding this one guy, so we should probably give him the ball. I'm sure our opponents won't, you know, see that strategy. I'm sure they won't collapse around Giannis. Like, it felt to me like this Bucks team is better equipped when Giannis is willing to be a facilitator in those moments. All right. Well, you just mentioned three several times. So, I mean, likely their next opponent would be the big three in Brooklyn. If you had to bet Sarah's house on it, not mine, Sarah's house on it, you yeah, take him to walk you over it. Brooklyn? <laughs> well, so let's just, let's just play this thing out for a minute, guys. If I lose the bet and Sarah loses her house, is she moving in with me? Uh, not I'm only that, but she's you, giving you a sure. lifetime of grief. I'm, I'm fighting you. I mean, she's fighting you. Whether that's you, at your house lifetime. or outside my house and their new inhabitants, I'll fight you either way. See, I don't really like that Jason put your house on the line here, Sarah. That doesn't really, I'm risk averse, Jen. I'm risk averse. What's the incentive here, Fitz? Um, let's just say that I'm putting a large sum of money on it, okay? Um, several weeks before the regular season ended, I was like, when the Bucks played the Nets back-to-back, I said to my guys, go down to Illinois, because we can't bet on sports here in Wisconsin. Go down to Illinois, put a big chunk of change on me. 
on the Bucks to be to win the Eastern Conference Finals and be in the finals this year. That's how confident Yay! I was after they played them late in the season. Woo! So while I'm not willing to bet Sarah's house because I know her husband is a millionaire, it's billionaire, probably a billionaire, really big place. Billionaire, billionaire. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's probably a really big house. I am willing to put a sizable amount of my own money down that the Bucks will go the distance this year. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to get internet lies right, at least make him a billionaire. I mean, if we're going to be lying, at least, you know, bump it up to the real thing. Can you thing. give me a fake million dollars just out of the joy yeah, of it? Yeah, sure. Like, okay, yeah, thank we'll you very much. I'm now a fake millionaire. Thank you. That's right. Jen Latta, ESPN Milwaukee, and uh, everywhere else on ESPN joins us here on Spain and Fitz. Um, let's talk about last night. Aaron Rodgers finally speaks out. Kenny Mayne getting the exclusive on his way out the door and really pushing hard for a couple real honest statements I don't want to taint the well by saying anything about what I took away from it without first asking you around your parts and, and where everybody is talking about the reaction to him finally speaking. What is the takeaway from last night? Is it different than what people thought before? Is it more or less likely he's gone? How are people reacting? Yeah, can I be honest with you guys? This whole thing for the last almost four weeks has run the gamut. Like, I keep expecting there to be a consensus, and there just really isn't. And that goes to every stage of it. Is he going to stay? Is he going to retire? Uh, can they, Is this fixable? Is, you know, is this beyond repair? Like, there are people on every single spot on the spectrum of, of this conversation. It's why it's so fascinating. I feel like at this stage, it's a little like politics. Kind of where you stand is where you stand. Very little can happen that's going to move people from one side of the aisle to the other side. So people who have already thought that Aaron Rodgers was right, that he has kind of put this franchise on his back over the last 16 years and that the front office needs to acquiesce and give him whatever he wants. Those people aren't budging. Nothing that Aaron Rodgers said last night was going to make them, you know, think that he was being irrational or think that, you know, that he was in the wrong. And on the other side, it's the same thing. People who side with the franchise and people who side with Brian Gutekunst and who think that it, a GM's job is hard and it's only made harder when they have to push every decision in front of their future Hall of Fame quarterback. Is this okay, Aaron? Are we okay with this? Are we okay to make this move? Does this make you happy? Those people are still firmly in their camp. And that's what's been so fascinating about this. I don't think Rodgers did himself any favors last night. You know, he played coy, which he was allowed to do because he was deferring to the fact that he was celebrating Kenny Maine's career, which I kind of love that as well, a little glimpse into their friendship. But it was we've always known that the issue is with the GM, Brian Gutekunst, that it doesn't really extend to Matt LaFleur, doesn't really extend to his teammates. But it's so fascinating that he was leaning on things like character and doing things the right way because there has certainly been criticism over the years for how Rodgers has chosen to do things and so I know that people who feel like come on man stop holding the franchise hostage he's obviously not showing up to voluntary workouts right now the next big date for us in Wisconsin is going to be June 1st of course because that's when the money gets significantly cheaper for the Packers salary cap wise if they were to trade him but June 8th when he is expected to participate in mandatory camp and if he doesn't show up obviously fines start incurring and then what does that do you know to the culture in the locker room you know one of the storylines you guys are going to maybe see being talked about is that a number of wide receivers didn't show up this week now again it is voluntary camp so they are well within their right not to show up but there have been, you know, a little bit of rumblings. Like, is this something that Rogers orchestrated? How much has he been talking to his wide receivers to encourage them not to show up, to kind of show the the power and leverage he has with the roster? 
Jen, if you had to bet my fake million dollars uh, on whether or not Aaron Rodgers is the <laughs> starting printed. quarterback of the Packers this <laughs> fall, what would you bet? Can we just talk about how you don't know how betting works? Like, if I'm betting <laughs> other people's stuff, then... Like, See, but here's the thing. A, She's got to bet her own house and her own million no, 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 dollars. Because if she loses her own house, she gets pity. If she loses my house, every time I see her, there's this awkward moment of... They have to keep us separated because she lost my house. That's why I always go but for. You like, put it on the table. I didn't yeah. put your your house to the middle of the table. You. I'm going to ask you to do the right thing, table. Jen. Like we're just going to expect that you do the right thing with my million. I'm trusting you as my oh, friend okay. with my fake million dollars here. That's a. I'm yeah. never going to bet my own money, so it's the only way it's going to happen, Jen. So is he the starting quarterback in your mind? In the many, many years that I covered Aaron Rodgers in Great Green Bay, I have known him to be highly competitive, incredibly smart, and very, very stubborn. I don't see how, unless there has been this total evolution, this weird, weirdly pronounced cleanse that he was talking about last night with Kenny, if that like has changed his entire demeanor and his principles, and then he decides, you know what, I let this thing get too far gone. I never expected it to, you know, devolve the way that it did. They were wrong, but I was also wrong, and hopefully we can move forward because this relationship is mutually beneficial. I suppose there's a chance, but, I mean, I just don't see him backing down. Do you see them? We're running out of time, so I was going to ask you that. Is this the front office where they would say, we will admit that we were wrong, let's trade Jordan Love, give him some commitment, and and let this play out for another couple years? I don't think they'd trade Jordan Love, guys. I think they really think that he could be the quarterback of the future here. I think they think that they got very lucky Despite not suiting up? Yeah, but I think the plan was always for him to start next year. I think the plan was always for him to play behind Rodgers for this past season and this I just this don't know why season. he wouldn't be a backup then instead of not even suiting up and being active for games. Like that, that's Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Me. That's, a, that's what, what a lot of people point to, Sarah. And, and yeah. Matt LaFleur spoke today and still said he has a lot of work to do. I think he would admit to that, but he is putting in the work. Jen, as always, we appreciate stuff, you. Yeah. You guys can listen to her on ESPN Milwaukee. Jen Ladder, thanks, Jen. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, just keep betting other people's stuff. Yeah, that's not how it works. Well, you know, I'll get there one day. You know, that's why I'm probably not great at the whole gambling thing. All right, Aaron Rodgers, not the only quarterback in the news. Another starting quarterback uh, may have had his fate decided for this coming season. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Do not forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Best way to keep up with us, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer, changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com just to get you a quick update. Uh, Brooklyn, shocking, is up on Boston in the first right now, 27-13 on my screen, Sarah. But let's admit it, I'm watching, you know, streaming, so I I could be minutes delayed. But I got 27-13 right now, Brooklyn over Boston. We'll keep everybody updated. But we were just talking about Aaron Rodgers uh, with Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee. He's not the only quarterback that, interestingly, is in the news uh, today as it, it there's a little bit surprising to me to see some timing coming down for the first time Deshaun Watson and we've heard virtually nothing at this point about Deshaun Watson and the 22 women who are suing the Houston Texans quarterback for alleged sexual assault so we've heard so little for so long this little nugget came across from Jeremy Fowler out on ESPN.com that the case has entered into discovery this could play well into the season and in fact according to the docket right now it looks like he's not even scheduled to be deposed until February 22nd 
of 2022, meaning they're going to go through this entire legal process and not even talk to him, according to the timeline right now, until after this NFL season, which is a nightmare scenario for the league and for the Texans as they're trying to figure out what to do with the quarterback in the meantime. I somehow managed to turn my mic all the way down, which is an important part of radio is the ability oh. to hear my voice. Uh, but we're good now. I was like, I'm talking and I can't hear myself. Um, yeah, this is a really complicated situation, Fitz, and it's one where I thought since uh, many weeks ago that the NFL should have put him on the commissioner exemplus. Um I think they need to take the football out of this equation, but knowing how long the timeline is makes this all the more complicated. And he still wants a trade. He didn't show up for OTAs, and now he's faced with a bit of a decision. If he thinks there's a real chance they put him on the commissioner exemplus, he'll show up for camp because the result will be the same as if he's holding out. He won't be playing for the Texans. He'll be on paid leave. He'll get his full salary of over $10 million for this year. Won't be fined. No other consequences. He'll just be on pause, basically. But if he sits out the season and doesn't show up, it'll cost him upwards of $20 million. So if he shows up expecting to be put on the commissioner's exemplus and then he isn't, then he's kind of stuck. He'll have to be on the Texans and participate or fake an injury or do whatever or make it so miserable that they have to trade him. But what team is going to be willing to give them anything meaningful by that point and knowing what they know now about his potential lack of ability availability going forward. So this is a jumbled, jumbled mess. And in some ways, he would probably be benefited at this point by being on commissioner's exempt. But I'm not sure if there's any link language that would that would dictate how long he could be on that before the NFL has to make some sort of decision, because that costs the team a whole lot for a guy that's not available if it's a whole season long. Well, yeah, and, and when you start to think about the exemplus, which, yes, makes sense because for anyone that doesn't know, he gets paid his salary while he sits at home and it doesn't count against the team. So it just sort of presses pause on everything. I'm not sure the league can do anything else because it's a right. equally nightmarish scenario for the league just to say, well, we're doing our own investigation. We're going to let him play. And then all of a sudden details come out, should they mm-hmm. come out in this process, that show that any of these allegations are true and he looks like an absolute monster that the NFL protected and let played football. So, like, I feel like the NFL's in a terrible situation if he steps on the field. No team can actually go out and trade for him because, my God, they might be trading for somebody that, A, could be guilty of all of this, and, B, either way, may or may not be able to play until the entire legal process is over. And if you're the Texans, you might be forced to essentially press pause for a year on the entire conversation of quarterback for your team. I mean, this is that's why it's a lose-lose-lose yeah. for everybody involved trying to figure well, it out my again. Guess, Go ahead. My guess is that the NFL will essentially say there's only one or limited criminal accusations, and we feel comfortable with the nature of the complaints to move forward, understanding that investigation is ongoing. I'm not saying that's the right move, but my guess is that's what the NFL uh, will do. But he's, of course, not the only NFL person in the news. Yeah, a thousand percent, and not the only sort of controversy for the league, too. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the league's efforts to get better representation throughout the course of their hiring processes, uh, which include uh, opportunities to try and get more minorities coaching opportunities. Well, former NFL player and coach Eugene Chung told ESPN that uh, he was contacted by the league Tuesday. They're reviewing claims that he was told during a recent job interview he is not the right minority. Now, he's been asked to give up names, and he was on SportsCenter earlier, and this is what he said about not doing that. What good would come from that? Put someone out there to 
to, uh, you know, throw them out to the wolves. And it's between me and God, and it will go to my grave. You know, if you get bitten by a snake and the snake slithers off into the bush, I mean, do you chase the snake or do you heal the wound? You know, my, my whole rationale now is let's, let's heal the wound. And also, I think, I think, yeah, he also talked about how, you know, being, being the son of immigrants, they're sort of supposed to put their head down and just work. And, and in this case, I understand where he's coming from. It reminded me of people who are asked to name their, their um, harassers or otherwise it ends up negatively affecting them. And we know for sure from what we've seen in the past that there could be retribution in the NFL for naming names. I think behind the scenes, if he wants to share with, with the NFL, what team it was so that there can be a change made. I think that matters. I think the bigger picture though, is that this is an example of people not understanding the intent of the Rooney rule. And by doing it, as, as far as a quota instead of an earned hire, they are not advancing the league in the way that it's meant to be done by saying you are not the right minority in the specifics that were given to him. Then it says we're not hiring the most qualified for the job. We're hiring the person that fits what we're supposed to do. And that's not how the Rooney role is supposed to inspire people. And that's what's frustrating about this. Yeah, and I think it's frustrating because it speaks not just to the lack of understanding for so many people, but if the people that are making the hiring – uh, the hires don't understand the point and principle of the rule, why it's there, and how it's supposed to help in this process. And that's what it feels like when you hear something uh, that sort of stunning for everybody to think that you're not the right minority to get any benefit from a process that is meant to help minorities get a better opportunity to coach. It's it's a black eye for the league, and at the very least, the league needs to look at every team right now and make sure that whether it's publicly or privately, they're spreading some sort of un- education and understanding to teams on how to handle these situations, how to make sure that they're getting the best quality candidates in the room, and how to make sure that they're treating everybody fairly in the process, which is asking apparently a lot from the current NFL. Coming up, the Suns have a chance to go up 2 nothing on the Lakers. We'll get some perspective on that team. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's a big night in the NBA, especially for the city of L.A. as both the Clippers and the Lakers are puckered up. Now, that's one of my favorite phrases to use, and it feels appropriate tonight as everybody's going to feel a little tight with both the, both teams going in to tonight's down one nothing. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, Sarah, let's head right over to the Goodyear hotline to get a breakdown on what to expect tonight between the Suns and the Lakers. We do that from the great Eddie Johnson. You can check out Eddie Johnson weekday afternoons from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the only place on radio for 24-7 coverage of the NBA, Sirius XM NBA Radio. Eddie, the Suns TV broadcaster and Sirius XM Radio NBA broadcaster. Eddie, thanks so much for the time. Uh, when you look at the Suns and the Lakers in game one, what do you think you can take away from that that we'll see in game two that you think it will stay the same, essentially? We got you, Eddie. Are going to be made. Go. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep, we yep. got you, Eddie. Yeah, uh, adjustments are going to be made. Uh, and so the Lakers, you know, they're good at it as anybody because they just won the championship. And so they understand a little bit better than the Suns. The Suns haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. So the Suns expect uh, changes. They expect uh, Devin Booker to be played differently. Uh, they expect a lot of respect for DeAndre Ayton, who was tremendous. And they probably expect the Lakers to attack Chris Paul just to see if he's how, how healthy he is. So. And then on the other side, the Lakers know the Suns uh, took advantage of them with their speed and quickness. They got to the offensive glass. 
So each playoff game in a long series has its own entity. It's never the same uh, because adjustments are made all the time. So expect a different game. It won't be the same game. It'll probably be a close ball game, and, you know, whoever gets it done in the fourth quarter is going to win. Chicago Westinghouse's Eddie Johnson with us here from my hometown, 17-year NBA vet talking about Suns-Lakers tonight. Eddie, there can't be an expectation from the Suns that Anthony Davis will be quite so invisible tonight. What were they doing in game one, and can you attribute the success they had to his bad game, or is it more on Davis to assert himself and they'll have to be more creative tonight? Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of Anthony Davis was his own doing. Uh, he's a tremendous player. You don't stop tremendous players. What you do is make them work hard. So the Suns can make them work hard. I mean, instead of him shooting 10 for 15, uh, make him shoot, you know, 10 for 25. Uh, but in, in regards to stopping him over a period of the seven-game series, I think it's fool's goal. I think the Suns understand that. Uh, and they know they're going to have their work cut out for him because it's an embarrassment factor, too. He was worked over by a young kid in DeAndre Aiken. You think he's going to step on the court and, and be soft again? It's not going to happen. DeAndre knows it. If he doesn't know it, trust me, the last few days they've been in his ear telling him. Uh, so it should be a very exciting game. Anthony Davis will probably be Anthony Davis. But you know what? The Suns didn't do everything that they've been doing all year. Their bench has been extremely potent. And so uh, you can expect their bench to have a huge factor in this game. So uh, that's why I say each game is its own entity. And I think it's going to be a tremendous game because is it desperation on the Lakers' part? Not really. I mean, playoff series, do not they don't start until somebody loses at home. Now, with Utah and Memphis, yeah. With the Clippers and Dallas, yeah. Uh, Denver last night, as you saw, with Portland, yes. But uh, not with the Suns and the Lakers. I think what the Suns have to do is take care of their home business and then look forward to going on the road. Eddie, you mentioned the youth of DeAndre Ayton. There are some young stars on this team. What uh, impact does youth have in a playoff series like this? Well, I mean, again, it's unfamiliar to you. So everything's different. Uh, I think they'll see that the level of play and intensity has stepped itself up, uh, that every possession is very important. And, uh, you know, you'll be, you'll be in dissected. So they know your tendencies. They know exactly what you're going to do even before you do it. And you still got to know how to still execute, even though they know what you're going to do. So, you know, it's a lot of learning that goes on. You have to temper your excitement to a point. Yes, be happy you won a game, but don't let that happiness carry over to game two and thinking just because you beat them in game one, you're going to beat them again in game two. Go ask Miami that. Miami thought they had a game one in game one. Then they got blown out by 30 in game two. So uh, I think the Suns have been educated on that. Chris Paul's in their ear. Monty's in their ear. Uh, Torrey Craig, uh, Jay Crowder, guys that have had success in the playoffs and gone a long way, uh, they'll be in their ear letting these young guys know uh, this is nowhere near over. Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to NBA vet and former Phoenix Sun, also Suns TV broadcaster and Sirius XM NBA radio host Eddie Johnson on the Goodyear hotline. We heard about this Chris Paul injury, a stinger slash contusion. Uh, lingering symptoms can be around for a while, but you can play through it. What did you see from him as a former player yourself? Because to me, what was fascinating was just 
losing a handle a number of times that either said to me there was a pain radiating down from that shoulder or simply that, you know, I've had a uh, an impingement before where you literally don't have the feeling to be able to maneuver that arm. Um, what did you see as a player and how much do you think it will restrict him tonight? Yeah, I just saw a guy that got hit in his neck. And, you know, you know, you can get a crook in your neck or your neck is offline. Yeah. And my fact, I'm dealing with that right now. I've been hitting that golf ball too much. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what happens is, is that pain radiates. That pain goes somewhere else, even though that one area is not hurting. But what happens is that pain radiates to somewhere else. And you think, oh, my arm hurt. But realistically, it could be your neck. And what I saw in that injury was I saw him get hit, you know, in the, with a shoulder of Cam Johnson to his neck. And I think that sent the, the reaction down his arm. So, yeah, sometimes it takes a while to get it back, and sometimes you wake up in the morning and it's back. And so hopefully it's back for Chris Paul, and, and I'm, that will give the Suns an equal opportunity to see if they can get it done. Eddie, you've seen more Chris Paul than anybody this year. What has been the difference for him? Why has he been so great with this team in this system this season? He joined a very good young team, uh, a team that in the bubble last year played extremely well, uh, and they got it done. But it wasn't good enough because of what they did early in the year and not winning games, and so they came up a little short to make the play in. Uh, and so he saw that. He saw how good this team could be. And for what he did at Oklahoma City uh, and how he raised the level of that team, I think, you know, he, he thought that, man, if I can get down there with Devin Booker, then I can even take this thing to another level. Well, that's what he did. I mean, the Suns can kick themselves. They should have wound up with the best record in the league. Uh, they lost to Golden State. They lost to the Lakers without LeBron. And they got blown out by Atlanta late in the year. They won one of those games. They have the best record in the conference. So I think they understand that. They know that they had control of it, but they couldn't keep it. And now they have to deal with the defending champions and LeBron James. And we all know LeBron, you know, he never loses first-round series. Uh, and more importantly, you know, he he goes to the finals. <laughs> so uh, this is a tough heel to climb. And uh, they're going to have to really play hard to get three more wins. Eddie, we appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much. Have a great call tonight. Thanks for joining the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eddie, Eddie Johnson, Suns TV broadcaster. Be sure to check him out weekday afternoons from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Going to be a great matchup tonight. Uh, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. We've got a lot to get into with that series, obviously. Uh, but there's been a lot going on across the entire landscape of sports today. We're going to cover it the way only we can on Spain and Fitz next. Quickies coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, by the way, wherever you get your podcast. Great way to keep up with everything that's going on. Uh, we'll keep you caught up on the NBA action going on right now. I can tell you, you're having a better time listening to this show uh, than you would be watching the Brooklyn-Boston game because it's not even close, Sarah. I'm just saying it's not even close. Yeah. For the second time in two days, we're getting a blowout game, too. Yeah, that's not surprising, though. I think this is kind of what we expected. But it is a good chance to kind of get a look at the Nets when they actually got their their guys together and try to extrapolate how that might look against a, a real opponent. Sorry, Boston. I just can't wait for Brooklyn to take on Milwaukee. All right, so there's a lot going on in the world of sports. We're going to cover it the way only we can on Spain and Fitz. Quickies! 
Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Like the classy people we are. Let's start with a little bit of WNBA news. Diana Taurasi expected to miss at least four weeks with a fractured sternum. Absolutely just a uh, sounds painful, looks painful, is painful. The WNBA's leading career scorer suffered the injury May 16th against Connecticut Sun and then played two more games before deciding that it was time to get a CT scan that revealed the fracture in her sternum. Good God, Sarah. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, And you know what? This is always going to be disappointing when potentially the GOAT of all time is unavailable and has to miss, but especially so when she's getting up there in years, right? We don't know how much longer we're going to have the pleasure of watching the GOAT and and watching some of her you know, peers like Sue Bird and others. And for her to have to miss an entire week, um, and especially there was so much enthusiasm about the big three, it, it, with the Mercury, you know, Griner, Skylar Diggins-Smith, and Tarasi together, there were some high hopes for them rounding into form, and it, it's just a real bummer and unbelievable that she played for two games without, without, uh, you know, you know, realizing the, the severity of it. Yeah, again, I just I shut down for a day. If I have a bad hangnail, like one that you just can't quite get to rip off, like that's just the worst. I can't. Mm-hmm. I just I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, it's, I'm, I'm nothing if not tough. All right, next up on the stories, uh, we'll stick in the WNBA. Quickies. Forgot to give him the time to say that <laughs> oh, so man. essentially. Not that quick. We have time uh, for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sticking in the WNBA, uh, today is obviously the anniversary of George Floyd's murder uh, by a Minneapolis police officer. And uh, the WNBA and NBA uh, players unions are speaking out as they continue to back a uh, voters' rights group. And they're escalating their calls for passage of the law enforcement bill that bears Floyd's name. There's going to be a lot of activism tonight. Uh, as expected from the WNBA as they're not quiet about uh, wanting to continue to push for change there. Yeah, as we talked about earlier, members of the WNBA Players Union um, Executive Committee and Board of Reps um, are working with the NBA and the, you know, the the Social Justice Council. In fact, uh, the WNBA uh, Executive Committee and Board of Reps are going to meet with Cory Booker, uh, Senator uh, and 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 have a legislative bl- briefing tomorrow, um, really trying to push their influence um, in, in pushing through not just uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but also putting their weight behind um, Athletes for Impact, More Than a Vote, um, a number of other initiatives. And listen, Fitz, as a as a white person who really tried to evolve and catch up on issues that I honestly should have known more about and been more informed on. Uh, last year when when social justice and issues of, of policing became the, the the main talking point in our country. Um, I, I want to hold us all to the same kind of standard that the WNBA and NBA are. I mean, there's a lot of companies and brands. And, you know, we talked about this off, off the air and we haven't had a chance to pull it together. We asked a couple folks to come on and they didn't have the bandwidth at the time. But really look at how many of the leagues and teams and businesses owned up to what they promised last summer and how many of them said big things and are now slinking away and hiding under cover of the fact that we have concerts and sports and everything else back. We need to hold our individual selves, but also all of those other sports entities and businesses to task for whether or not they're actually making a difference or whether we're right back where we started from pre-George Floyd. I think one of the important things here in the process of all of this is understanding the media cycle and the news cycle and social media and what it does to our attention span, right? So it's really easy to have this conversation for a day or a week or a month. And we've had this conversation a lot over the course of the last year, which is impressive. But now that things start to return to normal, 
it becomes tougher and tougher to cut through and get people to continue to listen. That's why I think it's important for the WNBA and the NBA and leagues that have really stepped out and players that have stepped out and said, I want to use my voice. You have to make a conscious decision to continually do that. Otherwise, your voice eventually just dulls and it stops being heard. So, you know, I think it's great for the leagues that have spent so much of the last year really using their collective voice and the collective power and influence that they have to try and make change. It's important not just today, but every day right now for leagues to continue to do that if they're going to stand behind certain core principles, because otherwise I feel like as we return to normal, it becomes only easier, Sarah, for principles Mm -hmm. to sort of fall away from everybody's mind. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Fitz. And I think um, keeping an eye on the way the WNBA leads and of course the NBA great too, but I think, you know, the women in the WNBA have been setting an example in this since the jump, Uh, continuing to follow their lead and not let it get lost is super important. All right, let's move to the next story. Quickies. Oh, God, it just sounds so good when he does it. Let's give a little bit of love to Spencer Knight. Now, a lot of you were saying, huh, who? Spencer Knight would be the rookie goalie for the Florida Panthers. They came in at 20 years old, came in, stopped 36 shots, managed the Panthers beat the Lightning 4-1, to one, saves them from elimination. So it's an awesome moment. The Lightning still lead the, ser- lead the series uh, three games to two and host game six Wednesday night, but... I mean, when you've got your third different goalie to start for Florida in this series, he's 20 years old. You don't necessarily feel great about it when you're taking on the reigning Stanley Cup champions. And all he did was go in and have an incredible performance. Great moment for a kid to come in and a great moment for Stanley Cup Hawk. It reminds you how incredible the Stanley Cup playoffs are, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, you and I, you a little bit more because your Predators are in, but I can never remember whether you're a Golden Knights fan or a Preds fan. I think it depends on who's doing better at any given time. Uh-huh. I'm a Blackhawks fan, so my team is out of it, so I'm not as invested as I usually am. But I've been kind of living through my Levitard friends who are Panthers fans and watching as they get deeply invested in this the way that our Blackhawks fans were a number of years ago when we went on our you know three Stanley Cups in, in seven or eight years run. It's such a fun sport when your team is hot and the playoffs can't be beat because of stuff like this. A 20-year-old goalie standing on his head, getting called into action, just four games of NHL experience, less than two months as a professional player, and he comes in and gets 36 saves in a massive, huge moment with tons of fans and people are screaming and the Panthers mascot is, you know, dangling from the season and he just keeps it steady. Uh, really fun story. And there's always these stories coming out of hockey. And that's why if you get into it and you follow it, it always pays you back in the entertainment. I don't think there's any playoff better than the Stanley Cup playoffs. And frankly, yes, the Preds have won back-to-back double overtime games. So I'm a Preds fan. I'm all in on it. Come on. Mm-hmm. That's the way things mm-hmm. roll. Let's stick in the NFL with our next story. You NHL. mean the NHL? Yeah. Yeah. Quickies. Well, you know, it was close enough. <laughs> a little bit of love for the great one here. Wayne Gretzky has stepped down as Edmonton Oilers vice chairman. Uh, reports are that he's headed to TNT to be an analyst. And Sarah, it's interesting to me because no one can question the greatness of Wayne Gretzky, the player. But I do think as he steps down from Edmonton and his role there, remembering not only that, but also his role as a coach and a front office managing partner of the Arizona Coyotes from 2000 to 2009, I'm not really sure that Wayne Gretzky, the player, has translated the same way as Wayne Gretzky, the front office employee. But unlike, you know, the the questions that have been allowed at times about even Michael Jordan or, uh, you know, about John Elway, we haven't necessarily heard that same level of, of yelling about Wayne Gretzky's inability to capture his greatness on the ice in a front office capacity. Yeah, we'd probably have to go over the border to America's hat. There, they, there may be more discussions of that in Canada where hockey is – 
is ripe for debate, maybe a little bit more than it is here in the States. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly he wouldn't be able to replicate the greatness of, of his on-ice performances unless they just won every single year, whatever team he was working in the front office for. My favorite statistic still is that if he had no goals in his career, he would still have the most points ever in the history of the game because he has so many based on his assists. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Well, the crazy part is the Oilers have made it past the first round of the playoffs just once since they got Connor McDavid, one of the best mm. players, if not the best player in the NHL. So hopefully they'll find a way to continue maximizing or find a way to maximize. Next up, we'll get back to the NBA playoffs games coming up later tonight. We'll get you a sec for it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And joining us now, taking a brief pause from the unique project he's got going on over on the Twitters. Uh, you can go take a look at Network, N-E-T-W-3-R-K. Jason Concepcion of Crooked Media, host of the Take Line podcast with Renee Montgomery and the Binge Mode podcast and the YouTube series, All Caps NBA. He's a busy man, but he's never too busy to compare lizards to Skip Bayless on Twitter. Jason, thanks for the time. <laughs> Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Of course, a delight to, uh, to appear. Uh, yeah, just been you know just spending my uh, free moments looking for pictures of, of lizards that look like Skip Bayless. I, I don't know how that. this started. Yeah, yeah. Why not? But it's why, but it's, why a, not? it's a passion project. <laughs> I, I, I got to cut in and ask: Do you find the Skip picture first, and then the lizard to match, or the lizard picture, and then just trust that you'll find a Skip one to match? <laughs> important no what happens what is what is what has happened now is this thing is, is gained momentum is people will send me a picture a new picture of skip and then i will just uh find the picture and uh, find the lizard picture and you would be it is it is shocking how easy it is <laughs> really it's, i'm dead serious it is shocking how easy it is to find the exact one that matches well i There's look forward one, to uh, you you know, getting wrapped up in QAnon because of their belief that most of us are truly lizard people deep down. And now Skip's caught up in the mess, thanks to your uh, Twitter project. Uh, Jason, we got a couple big games tonight. Yeah. Uh, the one going on now, Celtics, that's yeah. not very exciting and not exactly uh, one nope. I'm keeping too close of an eye on. But the later games, absolutely. So I have to ask, as we're looking at the the decision-making around the Clippers, whether Kawhi will come be the claw and get a bunch more reps against Luka, is that necessary or can they trust that the rest of that team isn't going to beat him? Let Luca get his and focus more on just if they have a good offensive night, they don't have to change as much on defense as we might think after game one. Uh, in theory, if their offense is the offense that we saw during the regular season, right, uh, they can do that. But I think number two, number three offense in the league, you know, top ten defense, but now is the time. You've got two incredible perimeter defenders in Kawhi and Paul George. And you look across uh, the other side of the court, and it's really just Luka who is the killer. Every game, it's unclear who is going to be that second player who's going to step up and give you that scoring. It was Dorian Finney-Smith last game. Right? Sometimes it's uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Sometimes it's uh, Chris Asperzing. It's not as, not as much as the, as, the Maver- as the Mavericks would hope. But you've just got to you've just got to shut down Luca, and I think he's just, in his own words, he's too effing big uh, for uh, for Patrick Beverly. He's right. just too big uh, and too strong. So yeah, yes, it, you can't do it all the time, but I think you've got to run him different looks, and that's got to include 
Kawhi and maybe some Paul George uh, picking him up on the perimeter. Can realistically, can the Mavericks win the series with the approach of Luka and then the flavor of the day stepping up? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they can, they can make it a scrap series. Luka, I think, has proven that he has that level of talent. And then it, and that if you get Dorian Finney-Smith catching fire from the perimeter, if you get Tim Hardaway Jr. all of a sudden doing it, who is that second guy? But if you can get that secondary score consistently, yeah, they can win the series. Absolutely. We're talking to Jason Concepcion of Crooked Media and all sorts of other stuff here on Spain and Fitz. You know, if you look at the small sample size relatively, it's just the the matchups from the regular season and now this game one, mm-hmm. they have really struggled to convert from beyond the arc against the Mavericks. Are you watching this and saying the Mavs are doing something to take the league's best three-point shooters out of the game from there? Or is it a matter of luck, which would bode well for the Clippers in hoping that they might return to their regular shooting prowess? Yeah, I think it's an. I think it's a small sample size, uh, and you look for them to return to the mean uh, in Game Two and over the course of the series. Uh, it, it, I didn't. It, it didn't seem to me as if uh, they were doing anything special. There's a lot of open looks that the Clippers missed. So let's convert some of those, and it's a different game. And at the same time, like let's make anybody else but Luka Doncic beat you. Anybody else. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Jason Concepcion on Spain and Fitz, uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's look at the other L.A. matchup tonight. Uh, A.D. has not been, let's say, a reliable superstar the way he could be at times throughout this process, and we have no idea sort of where LeBron is. So what's the formula that gets the Lakers back on track tonight? Well, uh, you you nailed it with A.D. I think the kind of underrated part of that story is the emergence of DeAndre Ayton as a real backline defender, you know, the knock on him coming into the league was not a defender, doesn't have good instincts, uh, slow to react, um, offensive only. And then, you know, of course, didn't play much in the season before that because of the suspension. Uh, And he's turned himself into a player and a real impact player. And listen, Anthony Davis is the, is the type of star that, you can only do so much before uh, before he gets loose. I mean, we saw that in the play-on game uh, versus Golden State. Uh, Draymond Green really gave him problems in the first half, and then and then uh, AD just exploded in the second half. I, I, AD is too good to uh, to lock up for that long. But DeAndre Aiden is really showing a national audience that he is a much, much, much improved defender and a good basketball player. Um, And so, you know, the other part of this equation for the Lakers is how often are we going to see AD at the five? That's their best lineup by far. And, um, you know, there's a world in which you'd want to see that more and see uh, AD standing next to Andre Drummond a whole lot less. Uh, it's been uh, mm-hmm. the experiment in working Andre Drummond for the lineup has returned, uh, you know, pretty up and down results. He makes their spacing difficult. Those driving lanes are not there. And on the other end, you know, his pre goal defense is, is iffy at best. So do, do they go AD at center and do they go at, uh, go there for big minutes? I think that's a big question uh, coming to this game. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to the Binge Mode podcast and Take Line podcast with Renee Montgomery, host Jason Concepcion here on ESPN Radio. We are, are we hard enough on Anthony Davis for his distaste for playing the five? 
I saw Tom Haberstroh put up some numbers that he's a, a worse Danilo Gallinari when he's on the court with Drummond. <laughs> if they can play him at the five and utilize him better in the paint, especially when his jump shots aren't bearing fruit the way that you would want from a guy who's insisting on playing outside the paint, why aren't we harder on him for that? The fact that he had a growth spurt and got used to playing around the perimeter yeah. is not a good enough reason for him to not be effective. Uh, I mean, this is why coaching is so difficult and why coaching at the elite level, at the contending level, is so much about ego management as much as it is at personality management and talent management as it is X's and O's. Uh, Anthony Davis, it, it's, you, you just take a pounding, right, if you're going to play in there. Uh, and Anthony Davis has been a person who has had, who struggled with injuries, luckily not serious injuries, but knocks here and there. And at some point, right, the rubber has to hit the road and you have to say, you have to go to him and you have to say, uh, look, here are the numbers when we play you at the five, here are the numbers when we don't, and we need to do this. Um, but you know, Anthony Davis is a superstar and superstars run the league and you have to collaborate with them, uh, you know, to a certain extent. So what is the pitch? Can you get him to buy into it? Uh, that's the struggle uh, for Frank Vogel. Um, but yeah, he's got to do it more. They have to do it more. The numbers uh, scream that that has to happen more. Jason, we've seen one game. I know it's only been one game, but through the entire West, I feel mm-hmm. like we could make question marks about every one of the what we thought were the best teams mm-hmm. in the West. Who is the best team yeah. in the West right now? Wow. God, I love overreacting. Thank I'm going to say the Phoenix Suns. I, I'm going to say the Phoenix Suns. Uh, number two uh, team in the West. Uh, they are hitting on all cylinders. Uh, they played through a Chris Paul injury in game one. Devin Booker showed you that he can be the primary star on a team versus a Lakers team that is still uh, obviously still dealing with chemistry issues. But I want to say it's the Phoenix Suns. But I think you put your you put your finger on something, Fitz, which is, man, it's wide open right now. Who's going to win this title? I think there's a lot of question marks all across the all across the league. You know. Uh, Man, I I don't know who's going to win it this year, and that's kind of that's really really fun when you contrast that with previous seasons where you know a lot of times when in, with the NBA you come into it and you're like okay, uh, it's going to be this team that's going to win it, and there's two other maybes, uh, but it's three uh, powerhouse teams, and everybody else is just hoping that they can uh, make an impact. This season, it's there's a lot of question marks, and I think that makes it really fun. Agreed, and especially considering that at one point it felt like an inevitability that we would get Lakers-Nets, and now because of injury and some other teams coming on, uh, we certainly have uh, some pretty wide-open sides to to see what's going to go down over the next couple weeks. Thanks for the insight, Jason. Uh, Good luck with the Lizards and uh, your burgeoning uh, media (laughs) empire. Thank you so much, and let's keep overreacting to uh, playoff games. It's so fun. Always. Always. So fun. Always. Uh, you can find the Lizards uh, and Skip Bayless's at Network, uh, N-E-T-W-3-R-K, and find Jason on Crooked Media, Take Line with Renee Montgomery, the Binge Mode podcast, and the YouTube series, All Caps NBA. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, how can the Packers fix their relationship with Aaron Rodgers? One former NFLer seems to have an answer. You'll hear it next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast guy Kenny Maine went out on top last night his final sports center had a whole bunch of his friends come through Fred McGriff Sue Bird 
Marshawn Lynch, Aaron Rodgers, and a lot of great memories from his This Is Sports Center commercials and his time. 27 years with ESPN. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can hear the, all the stuff you missed, including some exclusive pre and after parties you can only get on digital content. Talk to a country music star last week. You can check that one out. Um, yeah, Kenny Maine was a massive inspiration for me, Fitz, as I've mentioned. Uh, one of the segments on my very first hosting reel, which is sort of the combination of different montage of clips that you send out to try to get agents or for jobs in the business, had a Spain event modeled after the Kenny Maine famous main events, satirical silly takes on sports. And mine was about the NBA getting rid of leather basketballs to appease animal rights activists moving to synthetic and how no one was talking about the millions of trees murdered every year for hardwood floors. The NBA should go back to concrete playground-style courts. Uh, <laughs> said with a wink and a smile, um, but that was who I wanted to be when I first decided to pivot and do sports. It took a lot of the things from the Second City Improv I was doing and married them with the journalism and, and the news side of sports. And I really looked up to Kenny Maine. And uh, he went out in style getting an exclusive from Aaron Rodgers and had to kind of bully him into it. Bully him out of talking about their friendship and honoring Kenny into talking about where he was with the team. And the gist of it was what we mostly knew fits, and that's he doesn't feel like the team cares about him as a person and respects the fact that he has made this team what it is in a lot of ways, that they are just formulaically getting ready to move on to the next without caring about how he's playing, what his contract says to him about his his safety with the team, or whether Jordan Love, who is not suiting up for any games, is ready uh, to take over. So um, uh, that, to me, wasn't a surprise. What he said wasn't a surprise. I guess the takeaway for me was that he didn't say Julio Jones style, whether knowing he's on TV or not, I'm out, or I need out, or I don't see this going anywhere. He really kept it pretty tight in terms of what this might mean for the future. Well, and and look, I, I agree with so much of what you just said in that summary, uh, I, I think, however, the one thing that makes all of this difficult is money, you know, realizing that uh, according to OverTheCap.com, if he were to simply walk away today, he would have to write the Packers organization a check for about $31 million in guarantees that he's been paid that he would have to owe back. Now, Andrew Luck, when he walked away, had such a great relationship with the Colts that they said, don't worry about it. But that's why I laugh. Anytime somebody thinks Andrew Luck is going to come back and play somewhere else because the Colts forgave him of about $25 million like that. That's not fun, funny money. Like that's real money. So if Aaron wants to, to retire, you're talking about a massive check. He'd have to write to do that. And I don't the team think he's retiring. Not after well, an MVP season. Well, I don't think he's retiring either, but that's the only way he holds his own destiny. I mean, right. if he, the question is whether or not you think he's going to force them to make a trade. I just don't. He can't force them to make a trade. That's the the th- like. There's nothing he can do if he. Well, if he, he can make it deeply uncomfortable. He can ruin the locker room. Yacht, you know, all this stuff. What what they have right now is not good enough. And Rob Domofsky, ESPN Packers reporter, was on the 6 p.m. Sports Center talking about how they do not have the guys that they would need to get rid of Aaron Rodgers right now. Right now, Rodgers is still dug in on his intentions to never play here again. The Packers are still set. On not trading him, the organization is committed to general manager Brian Gutekunst. That's who Rodgers has his beef with. So right now, it's Jordan Love, Blake Bortles, and Kirk Benkert, the quarterback that they signed off the street last week as they move into OTAs. And that's the thing for me, Fitz, is like they are not in a position right now 
to win with a winning team if they let him go. So somebody's going to have to back off, but he's got a little bit of leverage in that if he really feels like they're not listening to what he's saying, they're not apologizing, they're not making good on anything, then he's just going to he's just going to pout or sit or, you know, force it to be so uncomfortable that they feel like they have to send him away. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, even if he pouts, like that's still something in my mind the team can just frankly deal with it. And yeah, you're you're a thousand percent right. They don't have necessarily the pieces there. But when Aaron talked with Kenny Maine about the fact that you know it's the people in the building and people matter most, you know, I think you have to look at it and say that's never been the case in the NFL. Like frankly, the NFL has never treated players right or wrong like they really matter more than the wins or losses. It's the reason contracts are written the way they are. I mean. Teams can give up on players whenever they want. Players can't give up on teams. And that's something that, you know, could have been fixed in collective bargaining, wasn't fixed. Like, players have never really been valued in the NFL. And I would argue that Brett Favre probably felt like he wasn't valued by the team the way he should have been when they handed it over to Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, this is just the cycle Mm, and the way it goes. That's a totally different situation, though. Aaron Rodgers was a player that was higher ranked and and more was expected out of him despite him dropping in the draft than Love. And Brett Favre was consistently threatening to retire. There were helicopters outside his house because he was wishy-washy, am I or aren't I? He was ready to move on while Aaron Rodgers is winning MVPs and saying, I don't want to go anywhere. What are you doing? Like, the situation to me is not the same. And that's why I think he's talking about the people. He's not making about anything other than how are you treating the people within your walls that have brought you and done things for you that you have consistently over the course of the last half decade or so done wrong by not drafting the right people to support, by not being in win-now mode, and then by drafting his successor, someone who still is not ready enough to even suit up for a game. Uh, Teddy Bruschi, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Get Up talking about how the Packers might fit this, fix this. Should have thought about this before you drafted the quarterback in the first round. And here's what you do if you're a GM. If you want to fix this, here's what you do. Publicly apologize, okay, to Aaron Rodgers. Then trade Jordan Love for Julio Jones and see if he can come <laughs> Something drastic has to be Deal. done like that. Now, listen, I don't think that's going to happen. And we talked to Jen Latter earlier who works out in Milwaukee and talks about this stuff on the daily. Here's from the team says the team is very stubborn, but something like that, a public apology to your MVP player who has won you a Super Bowl and could win you another one. If you gave him a shot at it saying, listen, we read the situation wrong. He's been incredible. He's outperformed our expectations. We're going to own that. We guessed wrong. He's still great. We want to invest in him for another couple seasons and, and and don't put everything into a guy that's completely unproven, especially when you're in win-now mode with the rest of your roster. I'm not saying that he said he's sorry, but going into the draft, they did acknowledge that they could have handled the situation better. According to The Athletic, they offered him a contract months ago that would have made him the most high, the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. And realistically, I'll, I'll, I mean, what but else why wouldn't he have do? signed it then? Uh, I so no what, you just believe I'm, the propaganda of whoever offered that out there, that Aaron Rodgers well, I mean, got I what he wanted athlete, and asked I, for, and then... But, I mean, I trust the well, athletic. Well, it's not, not trusting the athletic. So it's who's feeding the athletic that information. And what don't we know about that deal? Why would he turn it down? Well, I don't know. Because he felt disrespected be, be, through the entire draft process. I mean, I, this, to me, as much as we can take his side, we can also take the Packers side. What the heck else are they supposed to do other than offer him a ton of money? Other than that, he's got a contract. Doesn't want to they play. They could That's have renegotiated problem. his deal, and they didn't, which told you everything that they thought about his future. So but I think there's mixed messages. we also don't know messages. that they didn't offer. 
We do know that they didn't offer for that, that they didn't renegotiate. Anyway, we're running out of time here. This is a mess. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are next. They're going to have Gutekunst and Rodgers, which is going to be crazy. And Brett Favre, <laughs> I think, is also going to join. They're going to get to the bottom of this next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.